podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You're listening to Uncovered with Barat Sundarason and Jared Kimber on the 99.94 Network. For what, three years, three and a half years, I've been told that Virat Kohli is completely overrated, that he's finished. There's the Baba Azam thing. There's the Rohit Sharma mm. thing. I think you and I have discussed all this a lot. There's, this seems to be now a lot of personality-based schisms in cricket and people pick their guy, CR7, and it doesn't matter how many allegations and <laughs> things happen sure. against that person, they stick with them, right? Um, and it's certainly been the case with Virat Kohli and Rohit Sharma. Um, and uh, when Virat Kohli got in bad form, everyone sort of piled onto him. Now he's making runs, made the runs against Sri Lanka the other day, and suddenly the whole uh, Virat Kohli as the GOAT ODI player conversation. It's just like that. We just change narratives, Barrett. Just like that. That's how quick it goes. He shouldn't be in the side. He's terrible. He's everything wrong about it. Is he the greatest one-day player ever? Um, it, yeah, so it's sort of like a what, – what's the um, – What's the, what's one of the really shouty Indian channels? Is it what's the one with Delhi in its name? Delhi. Uh, I mean, there used to be. Um, I thought there was one it? that shut down recently that was just all yelling all the time. Oh really? I mean, uh, I mean, there used to be those Arnab Goswami uh, led channels. Which... Who, did he, who did he work for? Who was his channels? What was that? Oh man, I've been away from India for too I long. Know. Yeah, ta- same. Ta- I mean, it used to be Times Now, right? Like back in the day. Times Now was a good one. Yeah. Times now and then India today. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing. There was yeah, something then. I thought there was something with Delhi in its title that was quite yelly as well. But maybe I'm just misremembering. But the point is that that's what happens. The narrative switches, and we go from should Varat Kohli ever play for India again to is he the greatest of all time? Just I'm just going to ask you a simple question. All I want is yes or no to start with. Is he the greatest ODI batter of all time? He has been for the last uh, five years. Or he established himself as the greatest one-day batter of all time. Not now, but uh, just I around three. The yes 2000s. or no answer there. And then you went <laughs> yes, off. yes. Okay. okay. So, you know. <laughs> all right. Uh, how much of that is just based on the runs and the hundreds? Um, I guess uh, a lot of it is based on the runs. I mean, cricket mm-hmm. is a very numbers-based uh, and and very tangible numbers-based sport, right? Like now, it's runs, wickets average and all of that uh so it starts with runs i wouldn't though end with just the number of runs i mean sachin tendulkar uh was for the longest time the greatest one day player ever not just because of the the incredible number of runs he made uh but the longevity and also the incredible um, performances right like the match winning performances the matches he won for india single handedly double handedly triple handedly whatever but like the innings with that all he the would hands. play with all the hands, right? Like, yeah. Uh, and uh, yes, that was Sachin Tendulkar. But I I felt maybe around 2015-16 is when, uh, even though in terms of overall numbers, uh, Virat Kohli wasn't anywhere close to Tendulkar because he hadn't played for as long as Tendulkar had or did at that point. Um, he, Virat Kohli, had superseded Tendulkar. I mean, when you averaged in the, in, in the late 50s and you played as many number of games as Kohli has. Uh, what is he, is he, he must be near 300 now, I'm assuming. 260-odd, I think, off the top of my yeah. head. Yeah, I mean, when you average 58, 59, 57, and he has maintained that average uh, for a long, long time. And it isn't the Michael Bevan-esque average. I mean, Michael Bevan was an uh, 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 ODI king in his own right. 
but it was more about like you know to bat at number three mm-hmm. uh, for a majority of his career and to average that high um, is just incredible. I mean, his chasing record. Uh, the fact that he scored runs all around the world in this format on different kinds of pitches. And he's won matches for India from so many different situations. Like going back to that crazy game in Hobart against Sri Lanka and what it was. Was it 2012 when they needed to win by a certain margin to make it into the uh, into the finals of the, the Tri-Nation series? Um, whatever it was called at that point. Benson and Hedges <laughs> or Carlton and United or whatever it was called. Uh, VB, maybe. But... Uh, I think he by 2015 after the 2015 World Cup um, he was and you can't even talk about oh he's not won anything he won a World Cup when he was just three years into his career right like and he played a big hand in that final as well so uh, and he's won a Champions Trophy so he might not have uh, won a uh, or India might not have won an ICC tournament in a long time Virat Kohli might not have won an ICC tournament as captain but as a player he'd done it all well before 2015 so. Uh, for me, I think, uh, yeah, uh, greatest one-day one day batter of all time. And the competition really for me, though, Jared, is between, I mean, you can't do, compare eras, but when you do talk of the greatest, it's between Tendulkar and Rohit Sharma for me. Like, who's number second on that That's incredible because I, I wouldn't have Rohit Sharma anywhere near this list. And even Sachin, I think you've missed the obvious batter. Who I, I, say, I would take Dhoni and... Um, right, I yeah. take Dhoni and Bevan out of it only because you almost have to look at them. Not, not that they're not, um, not that they're not in contention, but just because it's very hard to match them with the other players because everyone else is yeah, a yeah. top order player or yes, top exactly. four player. Um, so there's almost it's almost like a separate thing of who is the you know number one top order batter and then who is the number one uh, middle order batter. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and I've got no problem with that. But Vivrichids, you haven't mentioned. A.B. De Villiers yeah. you haven't mentioned. There's no way that Rohit Sharma <laughs> is better than Viv Richards or A.B. De Villiers. It's not even close when you look at their numbers or the impact that they had during their careers. So I'm just going to run you through mm. some things. The first player I'm going to mention is Rinda Sewok, right? Who I think mm. is one of the most underrated um, yep. ODI players of all time. Only because we didn't know anything about one-day cricket when he was yeah. playing. We were still thinking about it in terms of test cricket, and his average wasn't very good. So he averages five more than the average top or uh, sorry than the average uh, player in his era, um, and he strikes at twenty-three quicker. So <laughs> phenomenal strike rate. How much quicker True. he was than anyone else? Oh, but, absolutely. But not making a huge amount of runs. Uh, weirdly enough, he should have been remembered as much of a legend as Sanus Jay Saria or um, yeah. Adam Gilchrist was, and wasn't. That's a whole different conversation about how India thinks about counting stats, right? Mm. Uh, Virat Kohli averages 27 more than the players of his era, which is the most I, uh, you know, I, uh, I can find. The only other one would be Baba Azam, who currently has a slightly higher run uh, average mm. than uh, than Virat Kohli does, but a third of the amount of yes. uh, cricket I think so far. Not not to say he won't go on to have that kind of record, but that's that's an important thing because we are talking about Virat's now played you know a generation and a half of ODI cricket, which I think you know. Uh, gives you gives you extra. His strike rate, Virat, though, is only seven higher than the mm. average. It's high. It's higher. You, it you, is. You know, and I'll go down the list here because there's another player that you didn't mention I thought you might bring up. Viv Richards averaged 19 more than the average player in his career and struck at 18 more than the average player in his career. Um, that is phenomenal. Also, his one-day career was probably not quite as long as Sachin's, but mm. certainly would have been, what, yeah. about 17, 18 years? Yep. Um, so incredible. The other one I thought you might mention was uh, Ricky Ponting. 
Yeah, of course. He averages 12 more than average, but his strike rate was exactly bang on what the global strike rate was during his career, which I didn't expect. I thought he'd maybe not quite be as far as uh, as, yeah. as, as um, uh, Virat was, but more in front of the game. A.B. De Villiers averaged 22 more. Uh, than anyone else than the average in his era, struck at 16 quicker than anyone else in his era. And then Sachin Tendulkar was uh, averaged 15 more and struck at eight more. I'm a bit surprised again. I thought he might have been a little little bit quicker just because Mm. he had a really good strike rate and started in the 80s. But maybe there was so much cricket played in that sort of late 90s and everything else. The one thing I would say is that there are, I think this is over 3,000 runs. I think I looked at this. There are five Mm. players who averaged over 50 with 3,000 runs. Of which, um, wait, I've got to find it here now. <laughs> of which, um, uh, obviously, uh, Virat is one of those. So it's Baba Azam is number one, uh, and he's got 4,000 runs. So mm-hmm. he's 59, 59 and change. Uh, Hashim, Hashim Amla might be up there. Well, Hashim's a really interesting one for this because he never, ever gets mentioned as a good one-day player and his numbers are ridiculous, but he's just under 50. Uh, Virat is at 58. Uh, Michael Bevan is at 53 and a half. AB DeVuz is at 53 and a half. And MS Dhoni just over... Uh, uh, sorry, MS Dhoni and Joe Root. So there's six players over 50. Mm. Hashim Amla averaged 49.46. Um, and of course, of recent times, Shy Hope um, has been mm. averaging uh, 49 with that comically low strike rate by the way but uh in fact i think shy hope strike rate is it's just a fraction quicker than michael bevan who hasn't played um since you know you were a goth um metal fan back in um <laughs> back in your old days so so there's six guys who've done who average over 50 and then if you're taking 3,000 runs as you and 3,000 runs isn't that many and mm. it but I, I've done that purposely because modern day players, like Joe Root's only made 6,000 runs. Yeah, it, exactly. He doesn't play that many one days for England anymore. So it's a bit different. And then you've got um, eight players who strike it over a runner ball. You've got Maxwell, Butler, Afridi, Roy, Sewag, Besto, Miller, and A.B. De Villiers. A.B. De Villiers is on both of those lists. Yes. Now, even, even with all that said, Virat Kohli is still not that much further back than AB to V is because there aren't that many players with a plus 90 strike rate at all. Like they, yeah. Weirdly, we, we talk about this. Uh, Virat Kohli, I think, has made more runs over a longer period of time than AB to V is. And the last few years of AB to V is career, was he really a one-day player? He wasn't as mm. high up in the order as much as well. I think it should be a fairly... I think it should be a shootout between... Viv Richards and A.B. De Villiers. Sorry, Viv Richards and Virat Kohli with Sachin not that far away. I know his record's not quite as impressive, but because he played what, two and a half generations of cricket almost, longevity has to come into that at a certain point um, uh, from that perspective. Um, and Viv Richards is an interesting one because it's almost like it's almost like Shahid Afridi. If you go back and you look at Shahid Afridi's record, he has to be thought of as one of the greatest T20 players of all time. Mm. It's just that for the first half of his career, no one thought about T20 cricket. And so we never even looked at his number. We were all like, oh, he's averaging 20 or whatever it was. It's like, yeah. He's also averaging 20 with a ball for a big period of that. So I'm not saying he's not the greatest um, ODI batter of all time. Um, the Hashim Amlam one's a really interesting case. Mm. Joe Root is another very, very interesting yep. case as well. Um, but I really think what it comes down to, I find it hard. I, I just think, don't think Rohit, I don't think Rohit and Ponting, as good as they were, are quite on that level when you go back on it. We There are other players that are interesting too, like Javid Meandad and Dean Jones. 
but I think what they did was they pioneered new methods. Yeah, yeah. I don't, and Santa Josa is another one there. I don't think they spe- specifically have the records to match the other players on on the top of that list. But I do think it's probably out of Viv Richards and Virat Kohli with Sachin not too far. In fact, Sachin and AB just behind. But mm. I mean, it, you know, Viv Richards. When you look at the strike rate, he was just he just he was playing a different sport to everyone else for the first fifteen years of it. Um, but it. It, it does show that even with Virat's uh, form slump in cricket over the last couple of years, he hasn't really slipped behind in ODI cricket mm. as much, has he? No, I think uh, last year was the only time he averaged in the 20s. And even the two years prior to that, he was uh, in the mid-40s, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, going back to what I, I was saying, I, I was speaking more in an Indian context. I should have uh, <laughs> oh, added... Sorry, I completely <laughs> threw you under the bus then. <laughs> no, but, uh, no, but you're right. I mean, the Viv Richards like that West Indian team, I, oh, which is what West Indies have done throughout the, the history of cricket, right? They have taken a format and completely revolutionized it. Test cricket, one-day cricket, and then T20 cricket. And then everybody else has played catch-up and some other teams have overtaken them, of course. Uh, but you're right. I mean, Viv Richards and, uh, you know, when you talk of just ODI openers, I mean, Desmond Haynes in that era, the fact that he was so consistent, he might not have uh, uh, had the strike rate of a Viv Richards, but the fact that he made 1700s or 1600s in that era... Well, he's, um, I mean, I don't think we talk about this enough. I think he's the first anchor, really. Yeah, and, and by anchor, I mean successful anchor. People had, you know, boycotted, batted through. Yeah, yeah, Gavaskar yeah. had, you know. But, but what I mean is that sort of high-performing. I think Jeff Marsh was the first person who was told to do that job. Yeah, so exactly. I think that in that way, Australia invented the term anchor. But if you go back and you look at Desmond Haynes' career, I think it would be hard to say that he wasn't the first guy who did it. And he, the funny thing is, how old are you? Were you late 30s? Uh, 37, yeah. Yeah. So I remember, I'm probably a little bit older, so I saw more of Desmond Haynes. I remember him as being more aggressive than mm. his numbers really show. And, and I wonder if he had that sort of Australian style of hitting a couple of boundaries early on and then milking afterwards. And when you're young, you're, whoa, look, he's hit all these boundaries, he's, you know, and, and you and you don't look at it. But he's not, when I've gone back over it over the years, he's not as aggressive. Also, he's a very good test player. But mm. I remembered him again as a ch- from my childhood as being a great test player. I. You know, I went through the, the test opener records recently. I think he was averaging about 42, maybe 41, mm. which is still, I think it still puts you in the, probably the top 20 or 30 openers of all time. But again, it's not the guy that I remember from when I was young. So a lot of his, I think a lot of his myth, not myth, but his legend comes from mm. what he did in ODI cricket because that's a lot of hundreds. That is a lot of hundreds. And I think it also goes back to uh, watching cricket in the 80s and 90s, right? A, there was no internet to keep on top of stats, right? Like to know constantly, day after day, what someone averages or what their strike rate. Strike rate wasn't even a major deal, right? We never rarely spoke about strike rate in the early 90s or till the late 90s, nobody mentioned strike rate. And another thing is, um, cricket wasn't for all our young viewers and listeners, um, cricket wasn't like uh, you couldn't watch every game played in every corner mm. of the world whether it's a european championship or some under 19 tournament somewhere or or or, or whatever right like yeah which also i have to say um, completely to digress like i do uh, the third day of the sydney test jared i forgot to tell you so 
the days rained off, right? The recent one, Australia, South Africa. So poor Fox Sports decide to get some 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 cricket going, some live cricket going, and they turn to this domestic game. I think a Super Smash game in New Zealand, and then I, I, they had the television screens, of course, on in, in the press box. And guess what happens there? It starts raining there. So, <laughs> so there, it was. It was this weird kind of inception. There's like always where, rain and cricket somewhere. There, no, I know. There you are, like in a in a. In, at a, at a venue where the, the ground is completely covered and you're watching a live game on TV in another country where the covers are coming on. It was it was weird. But coming back to the what I was saying, like so back in the day, uh, back even to 10, 12 years ago, you couldn't watch cricket from everywhere. So both of us are from an era where we grew up watching highlights, right? Like we would get highlights and highlights wouldn't show the the many leaves that Desmond Haynes had in his innings or again, because in these days, thanks to Crick Info and Crick Quiz and every Crick Buzz and all of that, you can see, right? Oh, 17 leaves. So even if the, you haven't seen ball by ball live, you know he's left 17 balls. But back then, those stats weren't available. So I think a lot of how we understood cricket back then also was uh, kind of dictated by what we got to see and and you're right that's why another guy i would throw into the mix though and i i love talking about these kind of discussions because there is there are no wrong answers right mm-hmm. at the end of the day you could walk away and say that uh, you could say guy whittle was the greatest one day cricketer i did think so i was a big guy are fan. you i mean you say there's no wrong answers but i am not looking at the comments at the moment i'm assuming there are wrong answers and we're giving them but continue yes obviously <laughs> yeah nobody has mentioned guy whittle so far but uh, um, but Mark was another one, um, and, and uh, you know he averaged thirty nine. But his uh, his World Cup in nineteen ninety six, he hits three hundred. Mm. His strike rate is eighty seven, which is pretty much around around the same strike rate that Tendulkar had in that same tournament. Uh, more runs for Tendulkar, one less century. Did he get Tendulkar out in that tournament too? Of course he did. He bowled that wide to get Tendulkar stumped. One of a, a moment I'll never forget. So he was probably unlucky not to get player of the tournament. Sanchez already changed how we thought about one yeah. day cricket in that tournament and bowled quite well as well. Like we oh, remember the batting, yeah. but he bowled quite well. Um, and he got a lot of hype. But I think if you were go- to go back and just do it sort of on a who was the best player in that tournament. Uh, I think he would have to be. It would have to be Mark Waugh, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, three uh, match-winning hundreds for him. Uh, the one in the quarter-final against New Zealand, where Chris Harris makes the one thirty. There was the one against Kenya, uh, and the one against India, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, he he. Uh, you know, he kind of got overshadowed by Adam Gilchrist when he started opening with Adam Gilchrist. But you see some of the really big scores uh, of that era came from Mark Waugh, the 173 odd he made against West Indies in Australia uh, and, and a couple of others as well. So he would really take the game on, but would get overshadowed by Adam Gilchrist. So uh, for a long time, though, when he was playing, he was considered in the top best or three or four ODI players, uh, if, if you remember. So mm. I think when you're talking about the greatest ever, you have to talk about, I think impact is such an important um, aspect of it, right? Like, so uh, uh, during Viv Richards' era, he was definitely the greatest of all time. And one day cricket, he started playing one day cricket from the very beginning, uh, from pretty much two years after the first ODI was played, uh, or four years. Tendulkar during his era, for sure, right? Like, yeah. And I think it's kind of, kind of easier, I would say, to, Talk, have this discussion in in white ball cricket than in test cricket because test cricket is complete there you have to talk about the kind of teams you played with the conditions come into play mm. and, and the only reason I keep throwing Rohit Sharma into the mix is he has got hundreds he has won matches for India 
everywhere, right? And like he's got so many hundreds in Australia. Of course, he had that crazy World Cup in 2019 uh, and in 2015. And, and, and yeah, I mean, he he had a reputation. I mean, it took a long time as well, right? He had what, uh, two hundreds in his first hundred ODIs, if I'm not mistaken. There was this big debate about why does Rohit Sharma get so many chances? And if I'm not mistaken, he goes back to back in Zimbabwe in whenever 2012 or something like that. So, uh, and he has been around for a long time, Rohit, in this format. Yeah, I think his, his record's good. He's not far off Hashim Amla. And the the interesting mm. thing is the way those two are seen. Yeah. I think Rohit is seen as a white ball cricketer, despite the fact that maybe he's almost as good in red ball. And Hashim Amla was not seen as a white ball cricketer at all, no, despite the fact that he's averaging 49 with a strike rate. Not that, I think it was 87 or 86, so not that far off what, what Virats was. So it is interesting how different players get um, a pigeonhole. Just on the, the great older players, I'm not sure exactly what Aravinda de Silva fits Ooh, yeah. into all this. Mm. But if you think about what Owen Morgan and Joe Root did for England in one day cricket, they basically, yeah. all the hype is about, you know, Butler at one end and Besto and Roy and Hales at the other end. But the machine of their one-day cricket is really the fact that Morgan and and um, uh, Morgan and Root can score average 50 in those middle overs and score at almost a run of ball. Aravinda de Silva in, I'm um, just trying to have a look at it now, in 1996 and 1997, he averaged 50 in those years, striking at a strike rate of 89. Mm. Right now, he didn't do it his whole career, but you got to remember some things with Aravinda Silva. One is he probably started five years before or four years before yeah. he should have because they needed someone of that talent in Sri Lanka at that stage very early on in their development. And I would also argue probably played on about five years after that. He, you know, if you're looking, if you're looking for someone who whose peak years he was probably a very good. But the interesting thing was that because JS Aria was doing what he was doing, mm. and then if you go to the next World Cup, the revolution was Lance Kluster. Right yeah. of smack, and we haven't even mentioned him yet. Yeah, mm. and I think he he's a really really important player in uh, one day cricket, but then also T Twenty cricket. But uh, those two revolutions get looked at a lot. You know, Lance Kluzner turning Yorkers into hitting everything through cover and point for four, and 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 Janice just absolutely slashing people to death at the start of the game. But Aravinda de Silva's tactic of scoring at a run of ball in the middle overs. I can't think of anyone else who kind of did anything like that in that period outside of probably that's what Javed Mean Dad and um, uh, uh, Dean Jones were at, at their mm. best. But they were, it was before that that runner ball was even a concept. So, you know, oh, they yeah. were doing it with, with far less strike rate. But um, he's another interesting one as well. But yeah, uh, all time list, I think, I think Virat has to be in, I think he should be in the top two argument. Mm. Um, uh, just because it's a ridiculous average, even if if the if and if he was striking at the same rate the ponting was, I think I'd be putting mm. AB Davies and Sachin up um, above him. But I think because he's averaging so much with a similar kind of strike rate bump that that Sachin had, the only thing I would say with Sachin is just that extra, it's that extra generation because you have to, if you think about it, when Sachin starts playing, Dean Jones is revolutionising yeah, yeah. one day cricket. That's true. And when he finishes, what, what what's happening? When he finishes, I suppose De Villiers is taking over. Like it's a ridiculous kind yeah. of, oh, absolutely, you know, oh, yeah, gap yeah. between those two things. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was great innings. Only I actually you talked about seeing these. I only saw the highlights, but um, uh, <laughs> it looked pretty good. The, oh, the one other thing I wanted to say just about Virat, which I found really interesting. So I was just comparing him to De Villiers. 
And when you look at him by country, it's really, and this explains why he averages almost 60. He's really ro robotic about his method. So when I looked at him uh, versus each, each country, his strike rate, I think there's only one country um, in, in ODI cricket where he, at, where he strikes it over a run of ball. Oh, no, so there's two, Afghanistan, but it's only two. So we'll, we'll throw mm. that one out. Um, Bangladesh is the other one. So he strikes at 101 against Bangladesh. But it's incredible how robotic he is from 85 to high 90s all the way through. Whereas yeah. AB DeVries does have little peaks yeah, and, yeah. and valleys. Like I think he's quite, AB DeVries is quite a bit slower against England for whatever reason, but quite a bit higher against some of the, you know, against India. I think he's at like 111 or something ridiculous against India. And so there is this sort of gap that he has and you watch the two of them play and you understand it also for me kind of explains why ab DeVries is a better t20 player because mm. he is riding those those high heights a little bit more whereas probably coley is it's so robotic that he has to go through a bunch of gears more often than not but anyway uh, it was a good innings and it's great to see that uh, he was the worst thing that happened to indian cricket and now he's the best thing that happened to indian cricket mm. again can't wait for next week Bharat. uh we're gonna have a, another short break here and then after the break, uh, we will be talking about whatever it says in the thing. The Women's Under-19 World Cup. Welcome back to Uncovered, Jared and Barrett. Uh, just on this, uh, Hypercourse is in the comments, and he said, Meg Lanning averages oh. 29 more than the average ODI rate during her career and strikes at 26 more than the average rate. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Meg Lanning, I would have thought that she was probably, I wonder at what age she was already if not the greatest of all time, mm. but in the conversation for the greatest of all yeah. time, it was, it seems so early in her career, but it is worth mentioning that, um, uh, how far in advance she is. The mm. other interesting thing about Vera, we will get onto the, the women's stuff as well. But the other interesting thing about Vera is that Sachin Tendulkar builds his career in test matches and one day cricket and Virat's legacy is mostly going to be one day cricket and test match cricket. Yeah. What happens in 30 years time? If, those are not important anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know, they're seen as farmers leagues or, <laughs> or everything. Cause I wrote about that was with Sachin. Like, there were so many people online go, well, that's it for me. Cricket's over. Sachin's gone. I was mm. like, well, if you guys all leave, just so you know, <laughs> the thing that he spent his whole life perfecting and doing will actually lose a lot of its, its core. That's yeah. not quite the same case for Vera. I just think that one day cricket will be less important in 20 years time and oh, test sure. cricket probably will drop off at a similar rate but maybe from a slightly higher uh, uh peak um and if that's the case like where do those players go but that you know i, I suppose uh you know what what happens when uh, the ipl is nine months of the year how do we talk about don bradman is for a different time maybe you know <laughs> maybe when we got less to talk about um women's uh -huh. under 19 world cup is on uh, brilliant start, Barat, because the bangladesh um women beat uh, the australian women which is mm. exactly what you want yeah. Under-19s is a weird thing for women's sport because women develop so much quicker um, than than men do when it comes to sport. You know, it's why you have 15-year-olds who win multiple yeah. gold medals in swimming and tennis champions and all that. Yeah. You don't get it in men. We know that. So it is a bit weirder. That whole concept is a little bit weirder. This is – I'm putting this out to you, and it's okay if you don't know the answer because I definitely don't know the answer. How did we end up with a women's under-19 World Cup? And also, take a step back, why did we not have one before? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think uh, I I started hearing about the potential of a women's under nineteen World Cup, and we have Hypercost, like who knows every, who knows everything. <laughs> We're all big fans of Hypercost for obvious reasons, and I'm sure uh, he'll chip in and let us know. Um, you know, is uh, two years ago, three years ago, I think it was the success of the 
2020 Women's World Cup in particular, right? When the MCG was filled up in in a in a world we don't recognize anymore, right? The pre-COVID era. Um, I mean, it's kind of back to it, uh, but that really was the trigger, in my opinion. That's the first time I heard about it. Right after that, even though we entered the COVID um, COVID epoch of sorts, right after. But that's that's the first time I heard about it, and uh, uh, it. it I, I don't know whose suggestion it was, uh, mm. who in who specifically like. Uh, put their hand up in the ICC and said... I reckon Holly Colvin would have been working for the ICC mm. at that stage. It was... it. So I'm not, I'm not saying it was Holly, of course. So she's a former England left-arm yeah, yeah, spinner sure. um, who's worked right across sport, I think, now. Um, but I, I wonder if it was something there. But the interesting thing was, it's one of those things when you look back on it, it's hard to justify why it didn't exist before mm. because under-19 World Cups aren't supposed to be money-making. And it also, it is about developing the players and and everything else. It's a really interesting um, situation. I think I was the same as you. I started hearing about it. The first time I heard about it, no one said where this is the first one. When Mm. I first heard about it, they were like, of course, uh, you know, we'll be doing this, 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 and this. And they said it so matter-of-factly, I was like, have have I missed the Women's Under-19 World Cup before? Um, And then, you know, then you, you... Quick Google search suggests I had not missed that. Uh, I mean, I, <laughs> how interested are you in the men's under nineteen World Cup? Because I'll be honest, I could not give a rat's ass. Uh, I mean, it like it was strange uh, covering it in India, right? Because it's a big deal in India mm. because India won, win so so often, uh, every second or third one. Especially since two thousand, they won so many of these. Um, and it also then changed once the IPL came into being because. Uh, uh, I remember the one that Rishabh Pant and Ishan Kishan played in together, where I remember interviewing Rishabh Pant before, while he was still at the Under-19 World Cup uh, and before the, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, the IPL auction of, uh, must have been, what, 2014? 2016. That's right, 2016, when he then went for uh, a lot of money. Uh, but prior to that like i remember it, it it really became a big thing in india in 2000 right with yuvraj singh and mohammad kaif yep. and ritinder singh so the uh, winning and also it was televised for the first time in india maybe the 98 version was i, I don't remember watching it for sure i don't think it was i would have watched it. i used to watch everything back then <laughs> including the seniors world cup but uh, 2000 uh, is and funnily enough before the 2000 some of our viewers or listeners will remember this there was an under 15 world cup yeah which ritinder singh sodhi was captain which had kf which had yuvraj as well if i'm not mistaken um so that like kind of and even though that wasn't televised i remember sports star gave that tournament a lot of coverage and that's the first time i got interested in junior cricket there used to be these indian england under 19 tour of uh, india when my uh, cousin murli karthik was playing for india under 19 and i remember this reading about uh, you know um, hansi kronius brother who was the coach of the south african under 19 team when south africa under 19 tour and he said oh when when we go back home i want to just pack this karthik fellow in in my bag and go like because he was so impressed with his left arm spin that's the first time i heard about under 19 cricket but 2000 is when it changed and then because of india's success and the fact that uh, the likes of Yuvraj and Kev burst onto the scene. And, and Yuvraj was playing uh, for India within a few months, right, in the famous uh, ICC knockout tournament, in, as it was called back then, which was won by New Zealand. And he made such a dramatic start to his career as well. I think that's when it took off. And then um, subsequently, it, it just kept, kept getting bigger and bigger. Uh, I would say it was, what, eight, 
nine years ago when the ICC really made it a broadcast product where everything was on TV and you had the likes of Ian Bishop and Simon Dool and um, yeah. all these guys like, you know, uh, even Nasser Hussain, if I'm not mistaken, doing commentary uh, and kind of really talking up these guys and, you know, as they should. And that's when it really became a thing. So it, it, I... When they won in 2012, the Unmuk Chan side, uh, I remember it was a big deal. Like We all wrote big stories. We were there at the airport to receive the team. And there were many, many press conferences. It was similar when Prithvi Shaw's team won in 2018. Though I was kind of delirious. You know, you've written books, Jared. That's the day I'd finished writing my Dhoni books. I was still like a little, you know, in la-la land about having finished it. I think this is right. I think I was in South Africa. Yeah, when South Africa won it. Mm. And you know that must have been Rabada's team. Was it twenty fourteen? I would say. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. That was a huge deal. And then the West, uh, the West Indies, did they win it in twenty sixteen? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was Nicholas Puran Hetmyer's yes. team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of always when it happens, I pay a little bit of attention. But yeah. it's funny when I go back through the records, you do realize outside of sometimes some of the Asian teams, some of the random cricketers. So you're, you're in Adelaide. And your Channel 7 newsreader was an absolute star of one of the under-19 World Cups. Theo Doropoulos. Um, yep. Shout out to Theo if he's, if he's listening. But a wonderful man. Great man, Theo. Yeah. I think I think he was like the third leading scorer. And because of he was one of the reasons I kind of lost interest in it because everyone had talked him up. And then over the years, it just ne mm. it never came. I'm not having a go at Theo. Like, no, no, no. Of course but not. it did feel like. It wasn't the same. And I suppose coming from an Australian background, well, we don't really value what ju what underage players do against underage players. We value yeah. what underage players do against seniors, which is very different That's to true. most other sporting cultures, let alone cricket, but most other sporting cultures in the world. That for me, it wasn't that it wasn't that interesting. But I, you know, I love that, you know, the Indonesian women are playing. I was looking hmm. at Crick Info at the app going, and it said IN women or something. And I'm yeah. looking at it and going, have they got the wrong flag for India? <laughs> um, you know, and then you have, is it Rwanda? Is that one Rwanda's of the there. The USA, yeah. of course, has a team. Yeah. I mean, it's wonderful, so, isn't it? You know, just to get absolutely. those sorts of things, uh, you know, those kinds of teams. And, you know, for someone who's followed women's cricket for a long time, I think also if you're an associate nation and you've got a small, finite amount of money, like if you were Canada right now, and I'm saying this partly because one of the Canadian women cricketers uh, follows uh, supports me on Patreon. But um, but <laughs> if you were Canada right now and you look at where the Canada men's team is compared to even the USA team, let mm. alone the rest of the world, would you think to yourself, if we spent the exact same amount of money on the women as we are on the men, where would we be in the world? Um, so I do find that really interesting. But yeah, look, I think it's great that, uh, that the tournament is, is there. Um, uh, from from that perspective and and exists uh I'm, I'm ignoring it in the exact same way i am with the men and i in some ways i don't think i could give it any higher honor than that mm. <laughs> no but what i do like about the scheduling though is the fact that it's happening in the same country uh where the the women's t20 world cup is going to uh, take place what a month later or a few a few no, weeks soon later. isn't it no 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 my... next month yeah, Where's my yeah, calendar? I mean, it's soon. It's really soon. It's it's very soon, like February, early February. So I actually like that format. Like one, like a junior World Cup leading into a senior World Cup uh, in, in any sport, in any format. There's also uh, players playing in both, isn't there? Absolutely. And yeah. that's, and I also like that there's already a bit of controversy. A lot of people have said that Shafali Verma and Richa Ghosh should not be playing uh, for India because they've already stars. At least Shafali is in, in senior cricket. And, and you can see, I mean, yesterday... 
Uh, she smashed 70 or 40 balls, a strike rate of some 229. Uh, and uh, uh, in, uh, she did something similar in the previous game as well. So She's still not... under 19, as far as I can tell. She Just because she's good, she hasn't, she hasn't like, aged two years. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, it, 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 she's not... Like she's not a twenty-three year old who's playing in the under nineteen tournament, as has happened in the past. Never the happened. World. Never <laughs> happened. <laughs> but uh, that's the thing. I mean, it's uh, it still makes sense, and if anything, it adds to the uh, not the star value, but the significance of the tournament that you have. Uh, players, not just for India, but other players as well from around the world who played senior cricket or senior level cricket, uh, appearing well, in the tournament. I was wondering, actually. Obviously, you know, women's cricket isn't as developed as men's cricket for many, many reasons, mm. partly because men's cricket went out of its way not to allow it to develop. But but I was actually wondering, because women develop sooner, I kind of thought it would be, for me as a, as a you know, an analyst and who checks these things, it'd be more, I, I would probably get more out of the women's um, team because those women are probably more physically developed, ready for senior mm. cricket, maybe have already played top-level senior cricket, whereas a lot of the men's under-19s, you know, you, you occasionally you get, you know, a couple of players who've played in Shield cricket or, you know, in the Ranger Trophy or, you know, um, County or whatever. But it's there's not a huge amount, whereas most of the women I would have thought in the major teams are probably, like, at the very least, fringe players already. Um, so you could actually see from that perspective why it might be a higher level of competition uh, just because of that. So I, I from that, I actually, you know, almost, you know, if I was going to watch an under-19s, I'm probably more likely to watch that. Uh, or maybe going forward, and you're absolutely right. Like from from the beginning of this, uh, the, or ever since we started discussing this topic, like you said at the, at, at the top, uh, that women do develop much faster in sport. I mean, just look at the Australian Open. Like Coco Goff supposed to play uh, the the kid from okay, forgot on his name, her name, uh, the the kid from England, uh, who's also I mean, like you know, they're the two new teenage stars. They're both what 17, 18, 19. And Coco Goff said, like, I don't want to be the next big thing. I want to be the next big now thing, right? Uh, I was just reading in the paper. And it makes sense. So maybe going forward, I mean, under-19 makes sense because under-19 World Cups exist in men's cricket as well. But going forward, maybe they could just call it the Junior World Cup and it doesn't really need to have um, an age gap. It could even be like a fringe player who is 20, 21. Maybe... Uh, maybe have a cutoff at 23 or whatever it is. I, I, for men, I would prefer it be under 21. I think I'd get, if yeah. it was under 21, I would instantly be more interested because those are players who should be on the fringe of, uh, of, of, well, at the very least, a lot of them should already be in the rotation for their domestic teams. They should be on the fringe yeah. of international um, selection. Whereas a 17 and 18 year old, probably a lot less likely to be in, you know, not that we haven't had freaks, you know, we've already talked about such oh, yeah. earlier, you know, we're going to get players like that, but in general, you're not going to get many of those in the, in the men's uh, tournament. But yeah, I, I'm, I don't see why it has to be under 19, mm. um, under 23, maybe stretching it too far. Is it, is it the football at the Olympics that's yes. under 23? Yeah, I mean, may, maybe I'm less keen on that, but under 21, I think I, I think I'd be much more interested in, mm. in in the development of those players. Yeah, absolutely. And you could maybe like like I said, if you keep call it a junior World Cup, you could have a one or two players for not for the major nations, but for some of these developing nations. Maybe they can bring in a uh, two who are like you know 23 or, or one below. 40 year old. <laughs> for sure. Every team needs to have one. Every junior World Cup needs like, a 40 year It would be like club cricket then, right? Where exactly. you just have a bunch of kids playing and just one guy who doesn't move from slip the whole game. That's yeah, the that way. Would... I, we'll get on we'll get on to the ICC. Um we'll have one more break here. 
Uh, and then if you have any questions, uh, we probably won't get to answer many, but you can put a couple in. And then after the break, we'll be talking about the women's IPL TV deal. All right. Welcome back to Uncovered, Jared and Barrett. Women's IPL deal. I mean, because you and I have covered cricket for so long, it's we both came up in an era where we were told probably pretty much not to write about women's cricket or that we didn't have to write about women's cricket. Uh, and certainly we both had to deal with people in comment sections and online and within mm. cricket itself telling us, what are you doing? This thing is never going anywhere. It's never going to make its own money and everything else. Uh, what the TV deals worth 116 million US dollars for the women's IPL, which is more than I thought they'd get. Mm. Not because I didn't think it would be successful, but I thought it might be the sort of thing that early on they would have to, I thought only one company would give a serious bid and it wouldn't be that high and they'd be able to sweep it up. That was not the case. Disney went after it, uh, but it was Viacom who got the deal. Uh, that is a huge, huge moment for women's cricket. The under-19 oh. World Cup's great and will develop yeah. around the world and everything else. But it's it's impossible now to still be in a situation where you're like, women's cricket doesn't make any money because that is, that's a lot of... The, I tell you what, I don't know how much the CPL's made in its entire history. <laughs> I don't think that's too far off it. No, it can't be. And I was just reading a piece in uh, Craig Buzz this, this morning, and it's already just with this, even before we know who the teams are, before we know when it's exactly going to be held and where it's going to be played, uh, which venues, it's already just on the basis of this one deal overnight become the third most expensive uh, women's sporting league behind the WNBA and the Women's Super League, which is the soccer, if I'm not mistaken, in uh, in England. So <laughs> that's amazing, right? We just w have a broadcast. I don't know when the Women's Football League got huge, but it feels mm. like over the last few years. But WNBA, I, I, my memory has probably started around late 90s. Yes, yeah, been so around to, for a long time. To be compared to that already. Overnight. And, and I thought where they would make their money is actually a slightly different thing because what we've seen in things like the WNBA, in fact, and, and the Women's 100 and the Women's Big Bash is it's the sponsors who usually get a lot more mm. interested than the TV companies. TV companies yes. are like, you start to watch it and we'll start to pay for it. Yeah. Right? That's yeah, not yeah. the case with the sponsors. The sponsors are like, great, so you're going to have a bunch of athletic women on, online and we'll be able to sell women's products at them and we'll also still be able to get you know the 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 hardcore cricket fans who'll be watching as well great that's an interesting market we haven't had that before we'll go for it this is tv money like i did i just didn't expect that to be where, where they had their major success the women's hundred was definitely i thought the major success for that was really through sponsors not so much the tv right part of it uh, but you call it tv money jared but if you uh, actually read the fine print uh, or again, going back to the Vijay Tagore piece, you should read it uh, on Craig Buzz, which explains the breakup of yeah. uh, how the broadcast deal was bought. So it's more the digital rights. I think there was, uh, what do they call it, package A and then package B and package C. So only two bidders were there, Disney Star and Wirecom. And Wirecom... Uh, you know, Uday Shankar has jumped ship from uh, Star, and he's he's and he's got. I mean, he is a, a genius, right? Like when it comes to TV broadcast or uh, sports broadcast or even sport, the business of sport. Uh, look what he did to Kabaddi, right? I mean, mm. I'm sure there were others involved, but he had a big role to play in it. Uh, and similar. So going back to what I was saying, so the it's more the digital rights aspect of it that that has been. That's what they paid for more than than the TV stuff because package A is always just the TV, just pure TV rights. But apparently, uh, uh, that didn't play much of a role. It was more the the B and yeah. C. I mean, read the piece to understand it better. I'm not. I might not be doing a great job. No, of no, it, no. But... You're right. I, I would say that 
when you when I talked to Sean Martin from Fairbreak, it's a similar thing. They made money off the TV, but mm. what the what people really wanted was the the social slash online version of it. And a lot of it is to do with the way that you can link these streams to um, social media campaigns and everything else. Um, there's there's a real link between those in women's sport that we haven't quite seen in men's sport so far. Um, and a part of it is also the other side of it that that uh, why people like the online side of women's sport is because a lot of the online women athletes actually have really good social media followings. Mm. You know, the more yep, famous true. ones I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. But they're not oversaturated with advertising, and you know the way that Virat Kohli only ever tweets if uh, you know a marketing mm. agency has written the tweet for it. They're not quite at that level. I mean, there are a couple of women. You know, I'm sure Serena Williams is at that level. And so there does feel to be a more natural sort of uh, a bond out there. And especially as, and I talked to a sports marketer about this recently, that men, the way that men get famous in sport is so different that they get very adversarial towards social media at a very early age. The women, because they have grown up with their friends being attacked, even if their friends aren't athletes, yeah. just for being women online, they almost handle the criticism differently yes. and they have these different kinds of more hands-on sort of, you know, Megan Shoot style, Twitter style that maybe some mm-hmm. other people do. It's, so the broadcasters are also a part of that because the broadcasters want the clips to be shared, right? Yeah. And so it's a it's a really, really interesting new different model i mean you talk about uday uday shanker I'd be, i would love to talk to him about all this i i interviewed him years ago he's one of the smartest people i've ever talked to in cricket but it'd be really yeah. interesting to see that new model and how they start to work it out because i think he's probably one of the first people who has worked out that i think older tv people will tell you that it's not just about tv anymore but they yeah. don't actually know what that means beyond yeah. that sentence sometimes right yeah yeah it's a bit like the newspapers most newspapers still don't get online Right? Yeah. There's a reason yeah. why the Daily Mail and the Guardian got so big online. It's because the other newspapers didn't know what they were doing. Mm. And even then, there's a limit to what th- those people do. And I do, I'd be interested to see if Uday Shankar is the sort of person who has the ability to sort of see beyond that um, and understand what that is. But women's sport is kind of where it's a no brainer. Like you kind of, it's a natural flow yeah. to go into that side of things, I would have thought. Oh, absolutely. And I know Uday Shankar gets it. I mean, hot star. Uh, uh, you know, he played a huge role in in the creation and and the promotion and the growth of Hotstar when he was still with mm. with, with Star. I mean, this sounds like a, a Uday Shankar promotion podcast, but it very well should be. If Uday, you're listening. Uh, hello, he's he's, uh, my, he's gonna be my backup guest when you're not available. When you're washing your hair, Uday will come on. <laughs> Why not? Uh, but no, I think it's also how aggressive Ycom have been ever since, like you know, this new avatar of theirs. Uh, with with going for digital or for cricket rights, uh, and they've been very smart about it. Um, and just this Australia tour of India, the Test tour, the men's Test tour, which is going to happen next next month, is going to be a pivotal moment in in sports broadcasting in India, cricket broadcast anyway, because you have Star who have all the TV rights, and then you have Viacom with the digital rights. So how it's going to get shared? Uh, is going to shape the the next era of. Uh, I mean, already we saw it with the men's IPL rights, right? With uh, it just getting bumped up because of the competition, which is not just about TV anymore. So, uh, and it's happening across the world in other sport as well. I mean, you know, the only other sport I still call it a sport that I talk about is pro wrestling, and you know, it's not just about TV. It's about uh, uh, and the whole old pay per view system is gone in. Mm. Uh, 
across all not just sport in entertainment it's 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 digital right it's about the ott platforms now uh so i think it 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 is very interesting uh how wycom have gone about uh gaining these rights but i mean just like if we can just focus on the women's ipl it's it's been coming for a while it's i mean it's so overdue it's ridiculous oh, i mean overdue. it's been overdue for a few years <laughs> but i've always argued and, uh, and not like not argued i've always felt and i've always told people in my very calm composed manner when whenever people have come up to me and not like non indians i mean and said like how dare the bcci not start the women's ipl i've always said just wait for it i mean that's how things work in india they'll wait they'll wait till till they think the time is right and then it'll it'll be a game changer and which is what what has happened hmm. like at least already right what we spoke about it being spoken of in the same breath as the wnba and what it also does is starting off with this massive broadcast deal also incentivizes uh, uh, the franchises or the bidders for the franchises and from what we've heard uh, they've all picked up uh, the the intent to interest or whatever the form is the ITT form uh they you express your intent to buy a franchise all the IPL owners have picked one up one of these forms up and then you have the glazer family the mm-hmm. owners of the manchester united club and other uh, guys who missed out on IPL franchises showing some interest uh so yeah i mean because it's a, it's a great opportunity right like uh, uh you have a 1.4 billion eyes i mean potentially and then the global market uh, to now to now target and, and i think we speak of when you speak of the ipl auction we speak of performances just on the cusp of an ipl auction really bumping up your price for individual players similarly the australia tour of uh, australia women's tour of india which just concluded recently and which we discussed as well that that we called it a very uh, a seminal moment in sporting history right when they played at the dy patel stadium and 45000 people showed up i think that could have played a big role in in this this number as well that wycom have played or the broadcast sites have gone for it, what's going to be interesting to me is what the player pots are because mm. there's no reason why considering that's the original payment then you've got the sponsors payment on top of that plus the owners would be expecting to take a slight uh, loss over the first couple of years of a league like this but they should be able to just go in straight away and just make this so far and away the most highly paid women's league you really should the top 10 players should all be on you know minimum of 50,000 mm. US per season which is straight away blowing away every every other competition but you could even go higher than that i would have thought with oh. this sort of deal um i mean i would be aiming for that for sure if, if it's at all possible even overpay them if you know what i mean to make sure that there is no other women's competition in the future and just from a global sports perspective i think women's football has grown so quickly in europe over the last couple of years it'd be interesting to see how quickly it become a bigger league than that but as someone who has followed the WNBA since Michelle Timms was in it and uh you know proud of uh proud of the many Australian women have gone over there to dominate in it over the years and i've been watching women's basketball probably since even before the WNBA that's not an easy that's not a hard league to knock off i should say it's a mm. weird league which has never quite felt like it's been looked mm. after by the NBA you've got the whole thing with women's players playing in australia and russia and china to get their money cuz they don't make it up women's ipl could just be you know the second biggest women's sporting league in the world almost overnight and if that's the case at that stage it's probably one of the best things that's ever happened to cricket just mm. from a perspective of being able to grow the game and we've already oh. seen with fair break so i don't know if you 
familiar with how the Fairbreak model works, but basically on their website, it just says, send a video interview playing, no matter where you're from in the world, oh. we'll send it off to Jeff Lawson. I'm not not Later. just Jess Lawson, but it might have been Lisa Stalaker back in the old days as well mm. and whoever else is involved. But we'll send it off to an expert and get them to have a look at it. Nice. Right. There are women in random places in the world who don't come from strong cricket backgrounds or yeah. who grew up in, you know, South Africa or Zimbabwe or Pakistan and then moved to a different country that doesn't have cricket who could still really play the game. If this is a proper, you know, league and it goes on to be, 10, 12, 14 teams, you know, the same way that the men's team a league will eventually be. And the money that they've got on this time is a, a, what an appetizer to what is going to come on later on. It just could be just a, such a big thing for the growth of the women's game in a way that I don't think any nation or the AICC could ever match. Like it's, you know, that, I gave a speech at a cricket club recently and, you know, you've probably given these things, you know, they get you to come and speak and they're like, isn't it bad that cricket's not the way that it used to be and it's not going to be nation by nation anymore. And I'm like, isn't mm. it great that if someone's really good from Thailand, she can be a professional cricketer now? Whereas Absolutely. 20 years ago, we would never have even known she existed and she would have just maybe, you know, picked up the bat a couple of times and then got bored with it. Like, there are, some, there are some very bad things about what is happening with modern cricket and there are some bit, things being thrown away that don't need to be thrown away. But on the flip side of it, the opportunities that women are going to get to play cricket professionally now, um, it, it blows my mind. Oh, absolutely. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I also read in that piece that it, the because of the uh, broadcast rights having gone for so much, uh, speaking of it in Indian currency, uh, I'm, I won't be surprised if the teams have, what, 20 crore to play with when it does come to um, the auction or however the players uh, get picked. But you're, you're right. I mean, it was always going to happen. Like once the WIPL or the women's IPL came into being, uh, it was going to break break the market. And you you just have to see the reactions from a, a, a lot of uh, contemporary women's cricketers, right? Like they, they're, mm. like it's genuine excitement because they know this was the game changer they were waiting for, right? Like as big as the WBBL has been, the fact that it's, it broke away from the BBL two season, three seasons ago, and now it's, uh, some may, some might say it's been a, be been a better product than the BBL for the last few years. The BBL has kind of caught up this summer. Mm. Um, uh, it's great, but once the women's IPL comes about, you, you knew it's going to be big and uh, a lot of these cricketers are going to get get richer and like you said it's not just going to be uh cricketers from india england south africa australia new zealand but also you know uh, from brazil and uh, from thailand and from indonesia and from maybe someone some under 19 star from rwanda who knows uh, could mm. well get picked up so i've got one uh, very important question for you hmm. which current known women's player is going to be the tyron henderson of the first women's <laughs> oh. <laughs> in the league now, for those who yeah. don't remember, Tyrone Henderson was a uh, South African player who played in, in England in county cricket. And Rajasthan paid, what, 650 grand for him in the first draft and maybe played him, was it once or twice? I don't yeah. know if sure he bowled. He was a big hitter yeah. who could bowl reasonably quick when he was younger. He probably would have been a good player five years earlier, but by the time he was in the IPL. And I think he just... Didn't he? I don't even think he went back to England. I think he just flew back to South Africa, bought a farm <laughs> yeah. somewhere, put his feet up on the porch, and we never saw him again. It was a, it was a brilliant story. Um, there's a, I think Crickbuzz might have written a really good article with him, or maybe it was Neil yes. Lanthorpe a, a yeah, while back, yeah. wrote a really good article on him. But um, I'm trying to think of who that would be, like because Lizelle Lee's too good. No, right? no yeah. she's Hayley the... Matthews is an interesting one because Hayley Matthews' batting record is not as. Mm. 
it's not as uh, good as sometimes people think it is because of that one great innings where mm. she kind of changed the momentum of the world uh, for a little while there. Um, yeah. You beat Australia. But there must be a woman, you know. I, I, I want to say it's, uh, it's going to be, you know, someone like Kate Cross just so I can make fun of her for the rest of her life as she sits <laughs> there with her millions of dollars and doesn't care. But that's the sort of thing that's going to happen, right? There's going to be you know, hypercourse who, who put a comment oh, before yeah. might end up, you know, being a data analyst for one of these teams. It really is going to open these things up. And I would say... There was a, a woman who does cricket stats who contacted me recently. We were chatting about this, and she said, I'm really having trouble finding you know, full records. And right, I said, that's yeah. because what happened was in the old days, uh, Crick Info would send people to all the grounds, and then when mm. Crick Buzz started, they did a similar thing. And then when every game in the world being broadcast, they, everyone started uh, yes. doing all their scoring from back in India, which makes sense financially, and you get teams of people. And, you know, some of these scorers are just incredible. Um, you know, watching them work and, and the levels that they go to. Problem is that not all the women's games were broadcast. And so we don't have as much information yeah. on the women's games. So there is big things. So there are going to be players who might get plucked out of nowhere based on, uh, you know, a couple of good games, as you said, or a highlights package or or anything. So I, I, it's it's great. It's, it's, it's awesome that we have finally entered the women's Wild West stage of cricket. Yes. Oh, very much so. And now it's time for El Dorado. I mean, we have finally reached El Dorado for women's cricket as the numbers have already proven. So, And it's only going to get more exciting once, uh, I think, the end of this month, is it? Or maybe sometime in February when the, the franchises are established, like the teams are bought. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we'll find out uh, the players uh, where, I mean, we'll have an... Leisha Healy playing for Delhi or whoever, and you'll have a Lizelli or a Susie Bates playing for Bangalore. And, and then, uh, you know, and, and these are already like, unlike the men's IPL though, uh, it's funny, right? Like, because it happened when nothing like that had really, ha I mean, the, there was the ICL, but when you had like the contemporary, like legends of the game in, in many ways, like Ricky Ponting and Ishan Sharma playing in the same side. I mean, Nishan Sharma wasn't a legend in 2008, but the fact that they just had that rivalry and immediately, yeah. uh, you know, they're the same franchise or or like the Tendulkar and Sanat Jaisira opening the batting together for Mumbai. Uh, it, it still felt unique now because a lot of these uh, foreign women's players are already mega, mega stars in, in India. Uh, I think the way they'll be uh, accepted as their own, I, that that process will happen much sooner. Maybe mm. even at the auction. I mean, if a Healy, Elisha Healy goes to Mumbai or Delhi, I won't be surprised if there are holdings up literally the next day because they're well, already such so established. But also, just from a perspective of when the IPL started, you know, uh, you know, you had Aiden Blizzard's photo up on mm. this. They didn't even know who to kind of promote, yeah. right? And, and the other thing was that they weren't. I'm not saying there were no fans on day one because clearly there were Mumbai fans. No, no, of course, you know. Yeah. But this is very different in that they are going into. It, let's say the IPL owners buy all these franchises. We have no idea who's going to get them and yeah. who won't. But let's say the majority of the IPL owners get, get them. You know, Rajasthan, you know, is a social media machine. Right, yes. you know, and Mumbai, India have that huge, um, uh, they have that huge contact with that, you know, production company, all those sorts of things. They're, it's not going to be, you know, uh, Aaron Finch dancing in a hair conditioner ad no. uh, and all that sort of stuff, right? It's going to be really, really slick. Again, I thought the 100 did a really good job uh, with women and the Big Bash has done a good job, but this is a step up and also... Oh. It's, you know, different franchises are going to do different things in a way that the 100 and the, and the Big Bash don't. They do everything the same pretty much right across the board with subtle differences. All that sort of stuff. 
they're going into a star position, as you said, that they start there, but also that the franchises exist. Might be slightly different if the Glaciers and uh, you know a bunch of the people who haven't bought IPL teams, because yeah. that would be the other interesting subplot. I've done a podcast with this about uh, Matt Roller, which should be up soon. But the other interesting subplot is whether the owners of the current IPL teams will be outbid and then muscled out of the women's teams by people mm. who want to own IPL teams in the future. Because oh, yeah. if I was if I was the Glaciers, like, let's just use them because we know they want to get involved with the IPL. If I was them right at the moment, I'd be like, I would like to pay $50 million for your women's IPL team. No, sorry, what? No, you misheard me. I said $150 million. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, it was 250 Do you know uh, what I mean? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's not that much money to them. It gets them in. And once they're in, they'll be thinking, we can go to another, you know, we, we can move that into the men's uh, league as well. But also, they get to build up staff, they get to build up branding, all those sorts of things that you probably can't do with the, what's it called, the International League T20 or whatever the stupid name yeah, is of the UAE right. tournament. Uh, no, I mean, there's a massive debate happening here in our comment section where... <laughs> I uh, did see it. I was going to skip over it, but okay, go. Uh, no, I mean, like, look, uh, we need, let's, for Subhash's sake, and I'm a huge Steve Smith One Day fan, right? Um, and... Uh, Bharat is a joint hogger. Well, I used to be once upon a time. But anyway. Hey, um, don't bog out the mic. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, there, there was a time. Uh, so, I mean, Steve Smith, like Joe Root, like you spoke about Joe Root in the past. Joe Root's just a few hundred runs away from becoming the most successful one-day batter in terms of numbers for England of all time. And he'll get there. I think Owen Morgan's not too far away from him. Yeah. And, and similarly, I mean, Steve Smith, I saw him make those 200s in uh, 67 balls was it back to back games or 60 balls in Sydney against India a few years ago I mean he's he's right up there but it's just that um, you know b because the only reason Steve Smith doesn't enter the debate currently is because he's not prioritized not prioritized he hasn't played a lot of one day cricket because Australia keep like you know shifting their whole um, ideology around like what series to focus on and who gets to play uh, in, in all formats and who doesn't. I think that has played a big role into it. But purely based on numbers, I'm with Subhash Warner is in that, oh, sorry, Steve Smith is in that mix. And it's good to have a healthy debate without getting angry with each other. That's yeah, I don't I don't think Steve Smith, he's certainly not in the Virat Kohli debate. No. But again, he's a bit like Hashim Amla, perhaps because he was so good at test cricket, there is a there is almost a rub that he isn't that good a white ball player. He's a little bit slow on the strike rate uh, for me to have him as one of the most elite players of all time, but he's a, still a fantastic uh, white ball player. Um, also, this is the whole thing. The more formats we get, the harder it is to keep, well, uh, you know, I was trying to think recently if it was if it would be worth doing an all-format top 50 cricketers in the world, like a rolling list, mm. and like, you know, every month's doing it. Yeah. And I was thinking, someone, I think it might have been, maybe it was on one of the shows you weren't on or one of the other Q&A shows I did, where someone asked about, you know, where do you rate the Fab Four at the moment? And I was trying to remember the form of the Fab Four. It's only four players, but in the three different formats. And it was, it was so hard to keep them all in, in different yeah. strands. So it is a very, very tough one. Up. Uh, Abara, have you got anything coming up that you want to flog? Oh, my book is complete. Yay. Hey. So uh, it is officially will be out. I, I don't think anybody else knows this. It should be out um, in early March. So in between the second and the and the third test. Uh, but the promotion and the pre-sales will start uh, very soon. Maybe in the next few weeks, you will hear more about it, I'm sure. Uh, but no, I, I finished writing my acknowledgements. It's all done. You know, once the acknowledgements is done and the... Uh, 
uh, dedication is done. That's it. The book is go has gone for printing yesterday. Uh, there you go. Some inside info on the book and uh, Miracle Makers. It's done. It'll be out soon. And I, I just reread it for only the third time. Uh, and yeah, it's actually a pretty good book, I should say. Well done, Bharat and Gaurav. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anything else due out on Quick Buzz anytime soon? Um, no, I'm taking a break uh, from from writing that there is the Shane Watson interview that I'd done about is really really good book I don't know whether you've read the Shane Watson book yet oh it's really really good so that I might be publishing that at some point uh, but for now I'm just gonna take it easy for a, one more week before I start building up to that um, Australia tour of India and my great homecoming I haven't been to India in a long time as you know I've got a video coming out on the Pakistani pictures and then I've mm. got a really really interesting story on Hawkeye which is Kind of tongue in cheek, but it's a really, really interesting thing on the on the origin of Hawkeye. Now that the NBA is looking at implementing Hawkeye as oh, well, right. and to talk about how it's gone from basically a minor league cricketer inventing it all the way through to you know World Cup finals, NBA, and Major League Baseball yeah. might be the next one. Well, they're already using it at the minor leagues, um, so I've got that coming as well. Um, and then I still have to finish my uh, my Chris Green. Um, <laughs> my my unwanted Chris Green feature as well. So uh, uh, stay tuned. All those will be coming out very soon. Uh, for those who haven't seen, I did the IPL um, player maps, um, uh, sorry, team maps as well to look at how different teams go. But anyway, Barra, I will let you go and I will and we'll talk to you again all next week. Have a good one. Indeed. Thanks for listening to the 99.94 Network. Cricket every day. Remember to download our app or just search for your favorite team at 99.94 where you find podcasts on Google or YouTube. This show has an ad-free version via Patreon and there are many other extras available there as well. There is a link to the show notes. The show is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. Barrett Sundaresan is my co-host. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great production team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orajoti, Senapayi, and Maida Akam producing podcasts, and Makunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube account.